Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Uh, I don't know if you have ever spent much time on a treadmill. I know that the vast majority of treadmills in this country are in homes, in basements or in bedrooms, where they make a really convenient thing to pile clothes on. I know there's a bunch of them in health clubs that get used, but I think most of them that are, well, not these days because none of the health clubs are open, but I think most of them that are in homes were bought with good intention and with hope, but then have become this thing that is, uh, well, it just has a number of days before it goes to the yard sale or Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace, if you know what I'm saying. Um, I am not a great fan of treadmills. It's just that on occasion, um, in in the quest to to be healthy and physically active, I've had to spend time on one. Years and years and years and years and years ago, back, um, I guess it would have been in the year 2000, 20 years ago, um, I I was coaching public school track and field in the state of Washington. And, but at the same time, I was a pastor, and our, our church's or organizational thing called its district assembly was scheduled for late in the track season. And I was also personally training because I was, I was hoping to compete that summer in some open track meets. So uh, I, I traveled to Moscow, Idaho, just about a half hour north of here for our district assembly. Stayed in a hotel there and didn't know my way around Moscow. Didn't know Moscow at all, so I didn't know that it was too little to get lost in. So I thought that I needed to run on, on a treadmill. So fortunately, they had a health club there in the hotel, and I went downstairs. I got on that treadmill. I was in good shape at the time. I was, uh, I was 30 years old, and I'd been training for a couple of years. And later that summer, I, in fact, uh, ran a mile back down under five minutes and four minutes and changed. So I was, uh, I was healthy. I was strong. I was fast. So I got on that treadmill and, in the health club, and I needed, to, I needed to work out, and I needed to be a real workout, and I needed to get some, uh, a speed workout in. So I started on the thing, warming up kind of slow, and then I cranked it up to a pace where I could run comfortably for a couple of miles, and then I decided I was going to crank that thing up as high as it would go and uh, push myself to get in some real speed work. Now, I don't remember exactly what the, what the top speed of that treadmill was, but if you've been on one, you know they can cook, right? So I got on the thing, and I'm just hammering it hard as I can go, and I didn't realize that the thing had a time limit, and when it shut off, it shut off instantly, unfortunately. I mean, like, hit the brakes, stopped, and I did not. I went from full speed running still to the ground under me being firm, and I crashed into the front of that treadmill, flopped over the side of it, landed on the treadmill next to me, bounced off of it on the floor, and laid there thinking, I've been told that if you lay down when your heart rate is over 180 beats a minute, you may have a heart attack and die. And so I, I, despite the bumps and the bruises and the abrasions, I pushed myself up off the floor and I, I got that, that treadmill walk. You know what I'm talking about? When you first get off the treadmill where you're kind of like Frankenstein and I tried to run and went out in the parking lot and uh, I, it, was, it was horrible is what it was. Uh, the whole wreck happened because of one uh, inevitable truth. It's that treadmills don't take you anywhere. By, by very definition, they're meant to keep you right there. You may be making all kinds of, of effort, but you are not going anywhere. I've experienced that another time in my life, in another set of circumstances. That, that sense that I was working really hard but not getting anywhere. And it's been a number of times in my life when I have tried to forgive people who have hurt me. 
Have you ever been on the trying to forgive treadmill? I mean, you're, you're putting in the work. You're, you're honestly like thinking about it and focusing on it and working at it. But no matter how hard you try, you don't seem to be making any progress in the business of forgiving. You wake up every day with the same hurt heart. And if you're not careful and don't guard your thoughts, you find yourself thinking things like, well, what I wished I said to them, what? Or, or you might wish that maybe they could feel what you're feeling, and if there was a way you could do it, you would. That's what I mean by the trying to forgive treadmill. Because we intend to, and we say the words, and, and we talk to God and say, please help me to forgive, but then there just seems to be something broken in the human spirit that has a tendency to remember, to revisit the wounds and stroke them and keep them open, and then to rehash in our minds how it would go if we had the power, how we wish that it would have gone back then, and how it would go if I could do it all over again. There is something broken in the human heart that gets stuck on the trying to forgive treadmill. To put it another way, forgiveness is just hard. It's just, it's just really, really hard. We have this usual pattern that we've fallen into. It seems easy, and the business of actually moving to the place of forgiving the person, no longer having ill will in our hearts, maybe even reconciling the relationship so that it's happy and healthy and holy again. That's a very, very difficult thing. Today, as we turn our attention to the Scriptures, we're heading right back to the book of Acts. We've been studying it since the very beginning of 2020, and we have not made much progress as far as that goes. Uh, it's, it's a 28-chapter book, and here we are right at the end of the fourth month of the year, and we are in chapter 7, okay? But it's because there's so much good stuff in the book of Acts. I'm not worried about setting the land speed record, getting through it. But we're at Acts chapter 7 today, and as, uh, we're, we're going to start with verse 54. That's where we're going to start reading. And, and as we do so, I just kind of want to um, preview it for you a little bit and say this, that in this passage and, and what I teach on it today, we're going to look at the fact that, that forgiveness is really possible for human beings. You've heard the old uh, parable, to err is human, to forgive, divine. It's true. Forgiveness is kind of God's jam. It's what he's good at. It's what he hopes to do. It's what he, he offers every single day. But it is not the exclusive domain of God. He intends to give human beings the ability to forgive one another. So I'm going to take a look at that. But I've also come to understand over the course of my lifetime that as good as it is to forgive, there's something that's even better. And that's what I really want to talk to you about today. Let's do this. Let's first take a look at the Scriptures. We're going to look at uh, Acts. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. Okay, Bible has two sections, Old Testament, New Testament. New Testament's the, the, the last third of it. Begins with four versions of the life story of Jesus, uh, by four different guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the next one, the next book, the fifth book, Acts, is actually written by Luke, the guy who wrote Luke, all right? And he's kind of talking to us about the earliest days of the church. And the earliest days of the church uh, worked like this. Jesus had resurrected from the dead, mind blower, appeared to the disciples, his first followers, also a mind blower, met with them over the course of about 40 days, reinforcing in their mind, I, I died, but I'm alive. And he did it in such miraculous ways that it removed any doubt that 
that maybe Jesus had not really died but slipped out of the tomb. He was, he was making miraculous kinds of appearances. And, and so uh, he then gathers his disciples and says, I'm heading back to heaven, but don't worry. Don't freak out. We have a no freak out policy in the kingdom of God. Do not freak out because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, a special friend and helper to you who's going to come and live in you. Jesus really firmly believed that there was something better than God being with people, him being with people. It was his spirit being in people. And the book of Acts is all about what happens when God's spirit comes to live in people, an experience that he longs to give to you today. Well, we're at Acts chapter 7. We're at verse 54. And uh, last week, our friend Brooke Thomas preached to us from the first part of, of this chapter. And she shared with us a sermon that this young guy named Stephen, he was, he was an exceptional guy. He had emerged as an early leader in the church because he was full of God's Holy Spirit and full of grace. He was just a guy who was really good at giving grace to people. And so they took this young man and they put him with some others in charge of a very special ministry in the church taking care of widows who were hungry and had, you know, other kinds of, of monetary needs. This was the guy who was trusted to take care of the little old ladies in the church, a good man. But he's on trial before the, uh, this governing body in Jerusalem, and this thing is, is coming to a fevered pitch. And he has, uh, he's looked him straight in the eye and he said, you know what the problem is here? It's not what we, the followers of Jesus, are doing. It's what those of you who uh, very intentionally murdered him have done. That's the real problem here. When you accuse other people of murder, there's usually a conversation that follows and it's usually heated. Well, listen to how this one went. When the members of the Sanhedrin, that's that ruling party that I talked about, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. I've never been so mad that I fake bit people. Have you? I mean, I've, I've, I've stood in front of angry bears in the woods. They do that. I've never been so mad that I fake bit at people. But these guys were torqued, apparently. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. With this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And when you read the text, there's a dun-dun-dun that's implied right there, because Saul is going to show up later in this book. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he'd said this, he fell asleep. That is the story of the first Christian martyr. There have been lots of religious martyrs down through history. This is the first among the people who were the Jesus followers. He, unfortunately, has a long legacy among the people of God. Today, Christians are, are being martyred at an unprecedented rate in human history. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have brothers and sisters that die every single day because they choose to remain faithful to Jesus. Pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. But today's message is not about, really, uh, martyrdom. It's about this incredible example of forgiveness. 
when we look at the Bible, both Old and New Testament, we have ample examples of forgiveness. That thing that you and I try to do that we find so very, very difficult, there are lots of examples in the Scripture of people who actually were able to accomplish it. And then there's this, this incredible example, two of them really, that kind of go above and beyond. And the first one is the example of Jesus himself, no surprise. But when Jesus was crucified, uh, the, the incredibly barbaric, torture-to-death kind of thing that, that the Romans were known for, Jesus, by the time he had been, had been beaten, bloody, and bruised, by the time he'd been hanging on a cross for several hours with, with spikes through his wrists and, and, and through his uh, ankles, hanging there slowly asphyxiating to death, Every time he wanted a breath, having to push up on that nail through his ankles, pull with his, his aching shoulders, suck a quick breath in and sink back into it. Jesus pulled himself up, took one big breath and said, Father, forgive them. They don't even realize what they're doing. Sunk back into it and a short while later gave up his spirit. What an example. I mean, you and I look at it and we say, they know, they know exactly what they were doing. Nobody said, oh, I, I accidentally crucified somebody today. There was nobody involved in the legal processes who said, I, I didn't realize it was going to end with them killing Jesus. It was, it was all pointed in that direction and very purposeful. But Jesus says, Lord, they really don't get it. I mean, they're killing me on purpose, but they don't really fully understand what this is doing to them. They don't really fully understand what it's doing to human relationships. They don't really understand what it's doing to their relationship with you. And so Jesus was able to look at people who very definitely were making them, themselves his enemies. And he said, God, I'm forgiving them. And I'm asking you to do the same. Just got to tell you, one of you, any of you, um, goes after my kids tries to harm him. And I'm not going to be as quick as Jesus, you know? I'm not going to be as quick as Jesus to forgive and, and to ask God to forgive you. But I have committed myself to be a follower of Jesus, and so uh, that's going to be a, a, a process that I have to embark upon. Maybe you who are struggling on the treadmill of the, the trying to forgive treadmill, uh, maybe it, it, it really is the case because somebody wounded one of your kids or, or attacked one of your kids or, or abused one of your kids. Maybe you were the kid who was attacked or, or abused. Maybe it was just some unkind words that were spoken recently between you and a spouse or you and a coworker or you and a parent. It really doesn't matter what, what the, the circumstances are, but uh, if you are a person who is in any way intending or attempting to follow Jesus, hard as forgiveness is, slow as it might come, we are a people who've committed ourselves to be those who forgive. The problem is we're humans and we keep working at it and not making much progress. Here's the reason why. Forgiveness is hard precisely because forgiveness is the process in which we just kind of live our lives holding other people to examples of perfect love and uh, respectful treatment of others that we ourselves cannot live up to. Let me say that again. We live our lives just kind of ordinarily, day in and day out, holding other people to standards of perfection, 
and standards of respectful treatment of others that we ourselves are not able to live up to. Now, inevitably, people are going to fail us if we have this standard of of perfection, right? People are going to to fail us inevitably if that's the way that that we kind of go about life. But unfortunately, it seems to be the default setting in the human heart. So we do that. Then whenever a person says something that, that seems to be directed toward us and comes well beneath that standard that we've been hoping they would live according to, we get this wound in our hearts that now causes some other problems. The first problem is this. It's a very real wound, and it longs for justice, and it longs for some kind of process to be worked where that person and I can be reconciled but where justice can be felt by me. And usually that means that the other person has to either suffer in the way that I did, so eye for an eye kind of thing, or that they humble themselves and come before me and ask me to please forgive them, giving me the power in the relationship. And they're now down there on their knees. Some of you are still waiting for that. You've been waiting decades of your life for that person to come and make their way to you and say, I was such an idiot, and, and beyond idiot, I was a horrible person, I was intentionally bad to you, and, and, and you've rehearsed in your mind all the, the details of the speech where that person would own up to all of it, but they've never come. For some of us, that person that day, never going to happen, never going to come to us. What then? What then? When we live our lives with the sense that, that everybody is supposed to treat me well, everybody's supposed to treat me lovingly, everybody's supposed to treat me with respect and honor, the words are supposed to be measured and considered ahead of time so that it, it doesn't in any way um, uh, hurt my feelings or make me angry. When we live with that, accept, with that expectation, people are going to fall short of it, and then we're left in this spot where we are wanting some kind of justice. But there's another problem that it causes for us, and it's that our hearts know that we have fallen short of that mark too. And any time that we hold other people to a standard that we ourselves are not willing to live up to, there's something inside of us that rightly screams, hypocrite, but not aiming at the other person, but at ourselves. So when we are in this spot where we are wounded, where we are offended at others, and we are waiting and withholding for forgiveness withholding forgiveness until the day that they come to us and seek it. There's something in our hearts that that longs for justice, but there's also something that says, yeah, but I'm a hypocrite while I long for it. That kind of loads the gun so that then if I'm going to manage to forgive a person when my heart's in that condition, I'm going to have to scrape up a great big huge pile of grace to now put on top of all of those wounds and all the layers of offense and maybe over all of the years or months or weeks, however long it's been for you, that this, that this wound inside of me has festered. I'm going to have to get grace from me and grace from God and, and, and try to let that kind of melt down into it and maybe work like a solvent that dissolves all the hurt and and makes all of that go away. It takes an extraordinary amount of grace when you're waiting till after you've been offended to apply grace to your relationships and bring about forgiveness. It takes an extraordinary amount of grace. Unfortunately, human history shows us that most of the time humans are incapable of finding that much grace to give to other people. That's why forgiveness is so very, very difficult. And yet, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're called to do exactly that, to offer this kind of 
uh, to, to offer forgiveness to one another. Because there's this thing that Jesus said that kind of makes all of us shudder if we pay attention to it. He said to his first followers, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, my heavenly Father will forgive you. Yay! But he also said the thing that we didn't want that to imply. He said, however, if you do not forgive people when they sin against you, my heavenly Father won't forgive you. I don't know how that hits you today. It may make you afraid. It may make you angry. I don't know what it makes you, but almost all of us, it makes us guilty at, at some point. We have asked God to forgive us. when We have withheld forgiveness from other people. Some of us, because we really have tried, and we just found that we haven't been able to pile up enough grace to put onto it, to melt the wound, and to kind of irrigate that wound and, and heal us and bring us back together. Friend, I'm telling you that if you intend to forgive, if you really in your heart intend to forgive, and you will take that intention and the confession of your struggle, of your sometimes unwillingness to forgive, and you take all of that to, to God in confession and ask Him, will you please help me to get to the place where I let go of the other person's throat? Over time, He will loosen your grip and He will give you the rest that comes from that, that intended reserved punishment hanging at your side instead of just stand like this for the next 30 minutes and and see how tired your shoulder and your back is. He says, here, let me fix that for you. He really will give the ability to forgive if you'll be honest with yourself and with him about the ways that you have resisted giving grace, even while giving voice to the idea of, of I want to forgive the other person. But I mentioned earlier that I think there's something that's better than forgiveness in the life of the followers of Jesus. And I'll tell you why I think it's better. It's because, two reasons. It's more like Jesus, and secondly, it's easier. Man, give me the easy. I've done enough hard things lately. Have you done enough hard things lately? I've done enough hard things lately. I need something that's a little bit easier. Here's something that's easier than trying, than waiting, having the expectations, getting disappointed, waiting for the wound to fester, and then trying to find enough grace to put on top of the thing to bring healing and forgiveness. Here's something that's, that's easier. It's more like Jesus, and it's easier. It's called leading with grace. And, by, and this isn't a talk on leadership. I don't mean if you are a leader, this is just for you. This is uh, it's something for everybody who's a follower of Jesus, okay? But it, it's, I call it leading with grace, because, meaning this, that instead of waiting till we've been wounded to go and find enough grace to try to pull into the relationship, what we do is we decide to put grace out in front of us, and that's the way that we lead our lives and the way that we lead in relationship with other people. Here's what I mean. Grace is, uh, the, the technical definition is this. Grace means undeserved favor. You treat people better than they deserve. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of the technical uh, definition. Here's what I think the working person's um, definition of, of grace is. Grace is permission for the other person to be imperfect and still be loved. I think that's a pretty good working definition. Grace means, I know you're imperfect. Instead of holding you to a standard of perfection and then being so surprised and hurt every time that you act like me, I'm going to lead with grace. I'm going to give you permission 
to be an imperfect person and still be loved by me. If, you're, if, you're, if there's some exceptions going off in your head, well, what about the abusers? What about I, Can we leave those for another day? Because it's a whole different discussion. We're talking about, though, the usual stuff of day in and day out, and maybe even, yes, the abusive situations. Grace says, grace doesn't pave the way or give permission for other people to do abusive and horrible things. But it says, in the way that I view other human beings, I am, first of all, going to recognize universal human brokenness. That, that everybody else out there struggles at, at being consistently loving and good and respectful and kind. Everybody else struggles at least as much as I do. And because of that, I'm going, to, I'm going to look at them through that lens instead of the pretend lens of you have to be perfect. I'm going to look at them through the lens that says, I will, I will grant you the, the permission from my heart for you to be an imperfect person and still get all of my love. See, lead, what leading with grace does is it allows the other people in our lives, number one, not to walk on eggshells, Number two, it allows you and I to have realistic expectations of other people. Number three, it relieves my heart of that inner cry of hypocrisy that happens every time that, that, that my heart rises up and wants justice or wants revenge or wants that person to come crawling back to me for reconciliation. We have this holy and challenging example in Jesus and in Stephen, whose story we read. Stephen, who has their their stoning them to death, hitting them in the head and body with, with, these, with, with rocks. Um, it says, I got an eye full of God and an eye full of Jesus and all these people around me. And when I see God and when I see people, when I see the ultimate source of grace and all the people who need it just like me, I'm going to put those two things together and I will see both God and humans differently because of it. And the last thing that he that he ever said was, Lord, don't hold their sins against them. See, when, when you get a good, a good view of, of who God is, God is, is not a, a harsh God with these standards of perfection who's waiting to hammer us every time that we mess up. He's a God who says, I know exactly what you're like, and I still love you. I know that you're imperfect, and I know what the standards of perfection are. It's just that I extend myself to you in love, acceptance, and with grace. When you see God as a God who leads with grace, that puts grace between him and us. He's not trying to scrape up enough grace to overcome his anger. He's not seeing every one of our faults and saying, oh, I, I, need, to, I need to pour out my wrath. Better get some grace in here and put out the fire. No, the way that God lives toward us is with love and with grace right out, right out between us like a pillow so that when you trip and fall, when I trip and fall, it's a soft landing. It's a soft landing into relationship with him. He goes, I knew you were imperfect all along. I knew you were imperfect all along. I never thought that you were going to get it a hundred million percent right. I didn't. I have all along given you permission to be imperfect and still be loved with all of my heart. I want to issue a call to the followers of Jesus today. Yeah, a call to forgiveness. Yep. Some of us have already taken the wound to our hearts. Some of us have been nursing that for years. There's, there's some hard work of forgiveness that we're going to have to do because we have, we have uh, it's, it, it's too late to lead with grace in terms of the past, isn't it? 
So we've got some hard work to do of, of, of pulling that, that grace into the, into the future, the grace that we have experienced in forgiveness from God and others in our past, of, of pulling that into the, the relationship to, to now address it today. Some of us have, have to do the hard work of forgiveness. Don't try to do it alone. You won't accomplish it on your own. You'll just get back on the treadmill. But if you will be honest with yourself and with God about the ways that you have intentionally, willingly arbored unforgiveness and resentment in your heart, We'll confess those things to the Lord and ask him for his help in your weakness and brokenness. I'm telling you that he will, and he will enable you to forgive, to let go of the other person's throat. But I'm also issuing a call based on what I've read today, not because I'm perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but based on what I've read and what I've come to experience, there's a better way to live. And I want to call you to it, followers of Jesus. It is time for us uh, to, 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 to cease being the people of, of crossed arms and closed spirits. You recognize the position of judgment, right? Where ugh, I'm just put out by all those stupid people and all those horrible people and all those people who think that... You recognize that among the, way too common among the followers of Jesus? It's time, it's time for us to quit being those people. It is time for us to be a people who uh, instead of using the Bible to uh, show other people how wrong they are and how, how, how right we are in, in being offended by them, it's time for us to be the people who just live like this without having to fold our arms and protect ourselves. Or, uh, we're the people who live like this, just wide open to whatever comes because we know that in between us and other people is a great big old pile of God's grace and a grace that we offer to other people that allows them to be imperfect and still be loved. Dear friend, if, you're, if your heart has uh, issued a charge of hypocrisy against you today because you've been, waiting to, you've been withholding forgiveness from somebody else, and you've received God's forgiveness before, I want you to know you can take care of that today. That, that, that hypocrisy cry can be taken care of right here and right now if you will, in fact, Go before God, confess that, and ask for his help. He'll forgive you. And by the way, there is no healing in your life without forgiveness. Both the forgiveness that you receive from God or the forgiveness that we have to offer to other people. If you're an angry person, if you're a resentful person, if you're a person who won't admit that you're either of those things, but your whole family knows that you are, I'm telling you, there's no healing in your life until you ask for forgiveness from God and you offer forgiveness to other people. But you're going to need the help of God's Holy Spirit in doing that. So for all the things from this point through history backwards that, that we've been carrying um, resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness for, let's take those things to God in just a moment and, and confess and ask His help in forgiving. But from here forward, let's look for something that's better than forgiveness. You'll have a lot less forgiving to do in the future if you lead with grace instead of waiting to try to find and pile up enough uh, grace on top of wounds. It's time for, for the followers of Jesus to be a people who no longer look to be offended, but who instead graciously offer grace up front to one another and to everyone in the world. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, however it is that you, uh, that you best become reverent and focused, and pray with me. Lord, I'm not uh, telling you anything when I admit that 
I'm a guy who needs forgiveness. Whew, I've needed a lot more of it than I wish I had. I've many times returned back to the same things that I know hurt your heart and damage mine. I've done the things that damage relationships and done them repeatedly. I think today, one more time, I better admit I'm a person who needs your grace. I deeply desire to be treated better than I deserve in this matter. Lord, I'm asking you to one more time apply your grace and mercy to my life so that imperfect as I am, I still get thoroughly loved by you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, and Holy Spirit, that the scriptures are littered with promises, hints, and indications that you intend to do just that. For as many of my friends as are asking for your grace today, I thank you that your answer is a jumping up and down happy yes, yes, yes. And I pray that my friends would experience the release that comes from knowing they're forgiven. Pray they'd, they'd experience that right now as they breathe their prayers, their requests to you. Lord, I'm tired of trying to forgive people. It's hard work. Plus, I want to grow up and mature in my faith. I want to be, true, be a mature man. I want to be a, a mature man of God. It's time for me to take steps forward from the, from the place that I've lived most of my life, of expecting things from other people, self-righteousness, appointing myself as their judge. It's, I, I want to be a guy who's, who's, who's beyond um, the business of looking to get hurt or mad regularly. I want to be a person who isn't stuck on a treadmill trying to forgive finding in my brokenness, I can't do it. I want to be a person from this day forward who puts that great big giant soft landing pillow of grace out in front of me so that everybody in my life, and everybody in my life's imperfect, has permission and knows it to be imperfect, still be thoroughly loved by me. Lord, it's the only way that we ever got into relationship with you is you put enough grace in between us and you right out front. And then in our imperfection and sinfulness, we were not consumed by wrath or justice. Your grace hasn't been offered after or applied after our prayers for forgiveness. It's always been right out front. And I pray with your help that I would become a man who is like you in this way. Help all of my friends who are asking for the same thing today. I pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Friends, I thank you for taking the time to worship the Lord with us today, with us, um, at the same time as us, in the same spirit as us, one day in the same place with us, but today, scattered as you are, thank you for taking the time to give God what he deserves, some your, your attention and your affection. I want to especially talk to you, First Nas family, and just let you know how proud of you I am. You are you're living as the followers of Jesus Christ. We've, we've talked in, in this church fellowship often that our mission is make disciples. It's a pretty simple mission. 
make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is somebody who connects with God in worship and who connects with other people, the followers of Jesus in fellowship and unbelievers in uh, evangelism and acts of, um, of compassion. I've, I've been, though, though I can't be with you, I'm hearing all these things about how our people are connecting. I mean, you're doing it right now. If you're connecting with this live stream, you're connecting with God. If you're, if you're offering some, some encouragement, some amens, uh, some, some prayer requests to, to one another, and so, then you're connecting with other people. That's good. I'm, I'm hearing about it. You're growing in your faith. I'm, I'm seeing in social media and hearing as you text me and call me and email me about, about things that you are learning while, you're, while we're going through this difficult test and this trial. Good, uh, because disciples are people who connect with God, who, who grow in their faith. But disciples are also uh, people who serve. We, we follow Jesus' example of taking care of other people, but we also are just trying to experience what he said. He said, I've come to give them life and a full life. And he said that if you try to hang on to your life, you won't have one. But if you give it away, you'll experience true life. So we give our, our lives away in serving other people. First, Naz, you are connecting and growing and serving. And I'm thrilled to death with the ways that, that I get to see that and know that. And I'm, I'm even happier to know that there's a bunch of it going on that you don't even tell me. So know this, you are the true followers of Jesus Christ. I love you. I'm grateful for you. One of the ways that, that we together will carry out the serve part of all this is, um, is, is meeting the financial needs and the food needs and some of those things of people here in our valley. So uh, I want to ask you if you would please continue to be faithful to give financially donations to this ministry. You can do that by going to firstnaz.com, F-I-R-S-T-N-A-Z.com uh, slash donate, or just go to firstnaz.com, click on the, the donate tab. Uh, we also have uh, a new phone app, Tithely, T-I-T-H-E dot L-Y, Tithely. If you download that on your phone, it'll take you maybe five minutes to get everything set up, and you can make uh, donations to uh, First Church of the Nazarene of Lewiston that way. You'll have to search for our church uh, among all the churches in Lewiston, but you can find that. You can set that up on your phone. It takes then just a couple of clicks each time that you want to you wanna donate. But I ask you, please, as you have been, to continue to be faithful so that we can not only meet the needs of people here in the valley, but so that we can also support our missionaries who we committed to, to support uh, long before this whole thing happened. They, most of them are still on the field out there. So, uh, But you've been good about that. Just want to tell you, great job. I love you. I'm proud of you. Friends, may, may you know the presence of God today. May you experience the grace of God today. Permission to be imperfect and still be loved. And may you find that the Holy Spirit who lives within you grants to you some, some ability you do not have on your own. The ability to give that grace to other people, to live in the future free of offense, always ready and able to love instead. How may you experience that? It's one of my greatest hopes for you. Then you will know joy. Then you will know peace. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back midweek with, um, with a, a prayer service. Just I call it Facebook Prayer Closet. That'll happen on Wednesday evening about 7 o'clock. And I'll probably jump on here and do a couple of, of live things in between. And uh, keep praying and 
Lord, hasten the day that we actually get to be back in the building together. Have a good afternoon.